Psalm 123. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. This is the word of the Lord. How do you know if you're a successful driver? How do you know if you're a good driver? Well, I say there are two indicators. Number one, you get where you want to go. And number two, you avoid collisions. Now, if you can do both of these things, that you get where you want to go and and you avoid being hit, then you're considered what is known to be a successful driver. And even though both of these things are important and vital to driving, I would say that each of us majors on one of them over the other. Okay, so there are the type one drivers who believe that driving is primarily about getting where you want to go. And then there are the type two drivers who believe that driving is primarily about not getting hit. Now, we could call type one drivers uh, spatially aware drivers. They're mapping the road ahead and they're looking down the road and they see the spaces ahead and they drive into those spaces. They are spatially, spatially aware. And if type one drivers are spatially aware, then type two drivers are obstacly aware. Obstacly aware. They're mapping the road ahead and they're looking down the road and they see the obstacles to avoid. And so they avoid them. They see a car coming. And so they do this subconscious micro jerk on the steering wheel to the right to micro adjust where they're going so that they can get as far away from the oncoming vehicle as they can. Now, if you're a type 1 driver, that's not to say that you're constantly getting into collisions or you're driving recklessly. Neither is it to say that if you're a type 2 driver that you never get where you want to go. Now, if you're with other people right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, if they're a driver, and ask them, are you a spatially aware driver or are you primarily an obstacly aware driver? Are you a type one spatially aware driver or are you type two an obstacly aware driver? You can go ahead and ask them. Psalm 123 is uh, written by um, by a by a pilgrim by a psalmist who is tempted to be obstacly aware, but intent but instead chooses to live spatially aware. 
He knows that it's easy to focus on the obstacles and the problems in the road ahead and to try his best to avoid them. But instead of this, instead of giving in to these temptations, he chooses to drive into the spaces. He's spatially aware. He's, he's learned to refocus his attention on God and to move towards God rather than focusing on the obstacles. Okay, hands up in in your home or wherever you are right now, if it's safe, you know, you know, if you're driving, don't put your hand up. But uh, over this, over these past six months, how many of you have felt overwhelmed at some point or another? Right? Me too. Like we were supposed to be meeting outside of the back of the church today. A hundred of you signed up for church outdoors and we were so excited. Wendy and our staff had worked so hard on this. And then when we heard from our province and city that our new COVID rules meant that we, we couldn't meet, not only did I feel sad, but I felt a bit overwhelmed. And, and then my mind shifted into a new gear. Uh, okay, now I have to record the sermon. Now I have to rework the manuscript. Now I have to re- reconnect our entire audio and video setup. Um, now we have to contact all, you know, all of the people who'd registered for, for church outdoors and who were involved. We have to, you know, we have to record the sermon again. We have to video edit, etc., etc., etc. This wasn't on my horizon and now it was. And so we're all threatened with overwhelm. You know, it's weird, right, that the word underwhelm is a word, and the word overwhelm is a word, but no one ever just says whelm. No one ever just feels whelmed. No one says, I'm feeling pretty whelmed right now. It's like we can only experience the extremes, either underwhelm or overwhelm. And this has been a season of overwhelm for sure. And here's my, my point. When we focus solely on the obstacles in our way, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, to literally feel like you can't do it anymore. But I'd like to suggest to you that instead of being solely obstacle aware, that we can shift our focus and we can become spatially aware. We can choose to drive into the spaces. We can choose to become Jesus aware and God aware. And we can each reach a place where our awareness of God overwhelms our overwhelm. That our awareness of him overwhelms our obstacles. And that's what Psalm 123 is. It's a song to lead us out of our overwhelm. Now it's clear that in verses 3 and 4 that the psalmist has some major obstacles in his road. There are some huge things that are looming on his horizon, right? And so for him being overwhelmed is, is a real possibility, and so verse 3 tells us that, uh, that uh, he has um, endured, that we have endured no end of, end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the, from the proud. This is what's on the horizon. These are the obstacles. Now, I used to be obsessed with how others viewed me at, 
at uh, school, I used to be mocked sometimes for my stutter, sometimes rather brutally. And, you know, I was mocked because I was a Christian. I was, I, and, and, and so I was, I was so afraid of not being liked, of not being accepted. I thought I was too skinny with a big head. I felt awkward. Um, you know, I, used to bring toothpaste in an old camera film plastic container because I was afraid that my breath smelled. I was afraid of standing out. My school years were spent trying to avoid obstacles and collisions. And so I was making these micro adjustments all the time, trying to fit in, and it was exhausting. So yeah, ridicule, as we see in this verse, is a powerful weapon. And that word contempt is an ugly word. And that word contempt um, is a feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration that they're worthless or deserving scorn. So have you ever felt the contempt of someone Maybe they ghosted you. Maybe they were spreading lies or rumors about you. And when you see them, uh, they just have that look in their face that, you, that they've just trodden something. Maybe you send them an email from time to time and they never respond. Maybe they leave nasty comments on social media. Maybe it's a loved one who's taking out their hurt and frustration on you because it's safe for them to do so, because you're a safe target. All of these things can leave wounds that hurt and fester. Wendy and I, after returning from the Logos Hope, were blindsided by a family who told us that they no longer wanted to, to, to continue our friendship. Now, these moments can hurt when it feels like we've endured no end of, 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 of contempt, when we've endured no end of ridicule, no end. It feels like there's obstacle after obstacle in the road and you're trying to avoid pothole after pothole and car after car and you're jerking the steering wheel left and right and the sheer concentration of, of what it takes to live life like this is exhausting. It's overwhelming. But what if there was a better way? What if instead of driving with obstacle awareness, you could drive with spatial awareness? Sure, the obstacles are still there. They've not vanished somehow. They're, they're there. You know, you know, this psalm ends with the psalmist still in the middle of the contempt and the ridicule. So these obstacles haven't vanished. But what if you were free no longer to focus on the obstacles and trying to avoid them and instead you experienced the joy and the freedom of driving into the gaps and the spaces that God has created for you these these gaps of grace these spaces where God is and that's what verse 1 of Psalm 123 is about You know, in the middle of experiencing the ridicule and the contempt and the harsh words and the gossiping and the ghosting and the trolling, 
that's going on around the psalmist in verse 3 and 4, in the middle of that, the psalmist refocuses and he starts driving spatially aware. And so what is the focus of the psalmist in verse 1? I lift my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. The psalmist is looking up. He's lifting his eyes. Just like in Psalm 121, he's lifting his eyes. He's reminding himself that God is enthroned and that he is in heaven. And isn't that what we need when we're tempted to fix, to fixate on the brokenness and the hurt of these relationships, when we're threatened with overwhelm, God says to us, look up, look up. But he also tells us, he also invites us to look in front. Verse 2, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Yes, we are looking up at the God who is enthroned in the heavens. We do need to remember God's sovereignty. But verse 2 gives us something else to look at. And this is what I want us to remember today. Verse 2 tells us that we are to look at God's hands. God's hands. How often do you think of God's hands? If you're anything like me, not very often. But in verse 2, we shift from looking up to looking in front. And what do we see in front of us? We see God's hands. And this image is surprising. And it's a beautiful image. And this moment, this moment is what leads us out of overwhelm and into peace. Now, of course, God is spirit, so he doesn't have hands as such. But he's so focused and he has, he's made such a commitment to us grasping his love for us that he paints these beautiful spiritual truths in language that we can understand. God's hands And so in verse 2, you know, the posture for us is that of a servant, female or male, kneeling in front of their master or their mistress, but not out of fear. This is not a servant with eyes to the ground, waiting for punishment. No, this is a subordinate looking steadily at the hands of their superior, the one who they trust for safety and security and rescue. This is the one steadily looking at the hands of grace and mercy. This is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When you stop fixating on overwhelm and instead start 
focusing on God's hands in front of you, your whole attitude, your demeanor changes. Because, and here's the thing, you're no longer focused on those who view you with contempt. Instead, you're looking at the one who never views you with contempt. You're looking at the hands of the one who loves you, who never who never ridicules you or ghosts you or spreads rumors about you. And so the pain of being defriended by people fades as you realize that you are befriended by God. The overwhelm of circumstances is overwhelmed by overwhelming love and the grace of God's hands. And as you look at these hands, as you kneel down and look at these hands, you know that Jesus is looking over your head at those circumstances and those people that were causing you such great hurt. He sees the emails that you've received. He sees the harsh words spoken. He sees the contempt and the pride in the eyes of of your adversaries. And the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't hate them. He doesn't treat them like with like. He loves them. He shows them grace. And through the cross, he invites them as well to come kneel down in front of his throne and experience the freedom that you're experiencing. He invites them to come and look at his hands. And in Jesus, you see the depth of the love that God has for you. Because in Jesus' hands, you see nail marks. And those nail marks in Jesus' hands represent two very important truths. Number one, that Jesus never treated you with contempt. In fact, he went to the cross for you. And secondly, the second truth is that Jesus knows what it is like to be treated with contempt. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be treated as a common criminal, to be thought of as worthless and nothing by those that he loved. And so if you're, uh, and so as you're knelt down before those nail-pierced hands, you understand the depth of God's love for you. And you recognize the depth of God's of God's empathy for you, that he knows what it's like. He understands. His heart resonates with yours. And so let me ask you this, friend. What is the best view for you? Is it to fixate on those who hurt you? Is it to focus on the obstacles? Or is it to kneel down in front of the one who heals you to focus on the spaces? Is it best for you to obsess over someone who breaks your heart or to turn to the one whose heart was broken for you and whose body was broken for you? Which is the best view? I know which is the best view. And so we don't move. So we choose not to change our view. We are staging a sit-in of grace. We've made up our minds that we will not be moved. And yes, those who hurt us maybe um, are 
surprised and they maybe can't handle our refocused attention because they gain something from our reaction. And so we're not surprised if they don't appreciate this silent treatment that they're now receiving because we're not reacting like we used to and we're not responding like we used to because we're looking at God's hands and God's hands have our full attention. And in God's hands, we see his creative power. Those hands that created the universe, both known and unknown. And we see the sacrifice that they signify as they were nailed to a wooden cross for you. As Jesus was overwhelmed with your sin so that you might be overwhelmed by his grace. And you feel the love that these hands radiate as they're reaching out to smooth your hair in a blessing. And so the opinions and the thoughts and the feelings of the arrogant and the proud no longer hold the same power that they used to. Friends, I would encourage you this week to maybe take some time in quiet and to, and to simply sit or kneel at the feet of God, your master. There's no need to rush. You, you can choose not to move. And you can imagine God's hands on his lap in front of you. And I would encourage you to choose to focus on these hands and to give to him all those things that are overwhelming you. To give him your, your, your obstacles and then simply to listen and to be with him and allow God through, through the Holy Spirit to speak to you and he will make you aware of the spaces of grace and mercy that God the Holy Spirit is inviting you into. You look at God's hands and you know that this is the best place. You are at peace. You are unhurried. And you look at those hands and with a growing peace in your heart, you start reciting this journey song that leads you out of overwhelm. Our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shows us his mercy, until he shows us his grace. Let's pray. Lord, many times uh, we can do nothing about those circumstances that lead us into overwhelm. We can do nothing about them. But what we can do is to turn away from them and to kneel down and to see your hands, your hands of kindness, and your hands of love. And we can choose to say that our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shows us his mercy. Lord, so I pray that you would make us into people who choose not to move, who choose to do the right thing with their overwhelm by simply kneeling and receiving and knowing your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is overwhelmed by sin for us, so that we might be overwhelmed by his grace. In his name we pray. Amen.